Good morning. I'm Lizzie Blunier, and you may know me as Miss Lizzie if you have kids at Davenport. Um, I'm the secretary there. But uh, my husband Brian and I and our five kiddos have been coming to Crosspoint since, I don't know, 20 years, the storefront days. So it's a long time. Um, so today, scripture reading is from 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verses 1 through 25 in the CSB translation. Let's hear God's word. Pursue love and desire spiritual gifts, and especially that you may prophesy. For the person who speaks in a tongue is not speaking to people but to God, since no one understands him. He speaks mysteries in the spirit. On the other hand, the person who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouragement, and consolation. The person who speaks in a tongue builds himself up, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. I wish all of you spoke in tongues, but even more that you prophesied. The, pers the person who prophesies is greater than the person who speaks in tongues, unless he interprets so that the church may be built up. So now, brothers and sisters, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I speak to you with a revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching. Even lifeless instruments that produce sounds, whether flute or harp, if they don't make a distinction in the notes, how will what is played on the flute or harp be recognized? In fact, if the bugle makes an unclear sound, who will prepare for battle? In the same way, unless you use your tongue for intelligible speech, how will what is spoken be known? For you will be speaking into the air, there are doubtless many different kinds of languages in the world. None is without meaning. Therefore, if I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker will be a foreigner to me. So also you, since you are zealous for spiritual gifts, seek to excel in building up the church. Therefore, the person who speaks in a tongue should pray that he can interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. What then? I will pray with the Spirit, and I will also pray with my understanding. I will sing praise with the Spirit, and I will also sing praise with my understanding. Otherwise, if you praise with the Spirit, how will the outsider say amen at your giving of thanks, since he does not know what you are saying? For you may very well be giving thanks, but the other person is not being built up. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Yet in the church, I would rather speak five words with my understanding in order to teach others also than 10,000 words in a tongue. Brothers and sisters, don't be childish in your thinking, but be infants in regard to evil and adult in your thinking. Is It is written in the law, I will speak to this people by people of other tongues and by the lips of foreigners, and even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Speaking in tongues, then, is intended as a sign, not for believers, but for unbelievers, while prophecy is not for unbelievers, but for believers. If, therefore, the whole church assembles together and all are speaking in tongues and people who are outsiders or unbelievers come in, will they not say that you are out of your minds? But if all the prophesying 
and some unbeliever or outsider comes in, he is convicted by all and is called to account by all. The secrets of this heart will be revealed, and as a result, he will fall face down and worship God, proclaiming, God is really among you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Uh, if you have a Bible, go ahead and, and uh, open it up to that passage. We've been in 1 Corinthians since last fall. We'll finish up in May, and uh, we're tracking along through uh, this book of the Bible. And one reason I enjoy working through books of the Bible is it takes us to passages and topics that we wouldn't naturally gravitate to. We wouldn't form message series around. And yet, uh, I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed both the joy and the challenge of trying to work through this book and see how it applies to our life here in this day. And I pray it's been encouraging to your faith as we seek to be uh, grounded more and more in the gospel and then growing up in the Lord. When the church gathers together to worship, our speech and our words matter. Our words matter most definitely all the time. Proverbs makes that abundantly clear. But here in this passage, Paul is going to talk about the value of speech in, in the public gathering, in this type of gathering, and how that speech among the members of the church has one goal, and that is to build up his church. Think about how many words are spoken to one another in the midst of a Sunday gathering from the platform, in the fellowship, before and after the service, from the platform alone, easily over 5,000 words are spoken, even more today, and exponentially more if you were to add up all the words back in Sun Chasers or all the words happening in conversations before and after the service. Platform speech matters deeply. Fellowship speech matters deeply. One of the more encouraging things that I've seen grow around Crosspoint over the past couple of years is the lingering that happens after the service. The one another in conversations, the greeting with one another, the praying for one another, not just, yeah, I'll pray for you, but let me pray for you right now. And speaking gospel life and truth into one another. And all of that is leading to one end result, the building up of the church family, the strengthening of one another in the faith. In chapters 11 through 14 in this letter, Paul's been writing about how the Corinthians worship together dealing with a variety of subjects. In chapter 12, he introduced the idea of spiritual gifts and the metaphor of the church being like a human body. And spiritual gifts, these grace gifts from the Lord, were to be used for the building up of the body. We learn the Lord was, has given a variety of spiritual gifts to the people of God, and every believer has been given a gift or gifts for the common good of the church, not to exalt themselves, but to exalt their Savior, Jesus not to make much of the gift itself, but the giver of the gifts. The Corinthians were prone to elevate the gift of tongues as superior to all the rest. And Paul has been saying, no, the, no, the gifts are of equal, all the gifts are of equal and necessary importance and value. Chapter 13 that Pastor Kent looked at a couple weeks ago, Paul emphasized the need for the church to love one another in how they live out the grace gifts. And that emphasis continues in today's passage. As you heard, when Lizzie was reading some of today's passage, the, the spiritual gifts that Paul's primarily talking about is that of prophecy and then tongues and the interpretation of tongues. And so some of you hear that and you might begin to check out thinking, well, I, I don't believe I have those gifts, so I guess this doesn't apply to me. You're wrong. You're wrong. 
It wouldn't surprise me that while the gift of spirit, uh, the gift of, uh, of tongues may be foreign, that's pun intended, to many of us, that we've had more interaction with the gift of prophecy than we realize. And that such a gift may be more present in our church family than we may assume as well. Paul's encouraging the whole church in how it has an opportunity to speak with one another when gathered together and how our speech should lead to the exaltation of Jesus as Lord and the building up of His church. So verse 1, pursue love and desire spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. So the theme of love from chapter 13 continues, pursue the love of Jesus. Pursue loving one another in the way of Jesus, including in the practice of spiritual gifts. The Corinthians were an immature church. They were twisting gifts to serve themselves rather than the other person. But the definition of love that Paul lays out in in chapter 13 is not only perfectly seen in Jesus, but it, it, it gives us some descriptions of how we love one another and live out these gifts in the church. In this part of the letter, Paul is going to contrast tongues and prophecy, two types of speech that occur in the local church, and he's laying out why prophecy is to be desired and trying to help the Corinthians see how their obsession with, gift, their obsession with tongues is having an adverse effect in the gathering. They're focused on the seemingly impressiveness of tongues when they should be focused on understandable, intelligible speech. So what's the gift of prophecy? It's the telling forth of God's message in a particular situation. A proclamation of revelation received from the Lord. The communication of message given by God as a response to and tailored to the special needs of those gathered to hear it. It's intended for the edification of the people. Prophecy is not identical to preaching. The Greek word for preaching is not the one used here in verse 1. And yet at at times, most certainly at times, a prophetic gift sometimes shows itself up in preaching. So what's the gift of tongues? That's a personal language of prayer given by God whereby the believer can communicate with God beyond the limits of understanding through unlearned languages. Tongues is a gift that is more about the devotional life of the believer and less about the public gatherings of the believer, which Paul is talking about here in this chapter. And when the gift of tongues is practiced in the corporate life of the church, the gift of interpretation is to be associated with it so that those gathered can understand what's being prayed, what's being said. Verses 2 and 3, For the person who speaks in a tongue is not speaking to people but to God. Since no one understands him, he speaks mysteries in the spirit On the other hand, the person who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouragement, and consolation. So in these two gifts, Paul is contrasting the audience. Who's being spoken to and then what's the end result? Tongues is a prayer language spoken to God, and yet for those gathered in the assembly, no one's going to understand what's going on unless the gift of interpretation is present. Prophecy, though, is speaking to people for their strengthening, encouragement, and consolation. Strengthening, meaning upbuilding. This is speech that builds up someone in the faith, does not tear them down. Speech that points someone to the truth that Jesus is Lord and you can take courage 
Because even though he walked through trial and test that is no different than the trial and test that we've walked through, that we will experience trouble in this life, we can take heart, take courage, because he has overcome the world and our faith is in him. Strengthening speech is resurrection speech. It's he beat death. We're with him. So you can walk in strength, not because of you, but because of him. Strengthening speech is resurrection speech. Encouragement. The word there is the same root word used in John 14 to describe the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit is our advocate, our counselor. So it would make sense, make sense that the Spirit-empowered gift of prophecy and those Spirit-led words would have the effect of coming alongside to assist, to counsel, to support, to encourage a sibling in the family. Consolation. One author wrote that this, was, this, this has the sense of whispering in the church's ear, probably in the sense of enabling God's people to be calm under pressure. My wife has often done this for me, in the front row, in the midst of a service. Before preaching or after preaching, you don't see it. That's the point. But it's often a prayer or words of consolation reminding me of who the Lord is, that His Word doesn't return void. There have been some times over the past few years where I have been so anxious on Sunday mornings, so unsettled. And so she has whispered words of consolation to my heart, not to say, you got this. I probably beat that like a dead horse, but he's got this. His word is true. His word is unchanging. So you can trust in him. Consolation also has the sense of words of comfort in distress. Listen to what Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 1, 3 and 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. He comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any kind of affliction through the comfort we ourselves receive from God. So the vertical comfort we receive from the God of all comfort is not to stop at us. It's not to terminate at us. It's supposed to flow horizontally to those around us, comforting others in any kind of affliction. So it's just all-encompassing. I love that. And this is not just weeping with those who weep, but the idea is also to put an arm around to strengthen. It's, it's this kind of picture. It's not just to weep with those who weep. It includes that, but it's also to strengthen one another, to carry one another's burdens to whisper gospel truth to them, reminding them when we are prone to forget and prone to disbelief, this is who the Lord is. He's always been this way. He'll always be this way. You can trust in Him in what you're walking through. Nothing can separate you from the love of God found in Christ Jesus the Son. As we draw near to Him, He'll draw near to us. Consider in your life when you have received such words of of encouragement and strengthening and consolation. Consider when you have spoken these words to fellow siblings. It very well could have been the grace gift of prophecy at work. Whether it was that gift or not, this is the kind of speech that we need to be about among the family, including when we publicly gather, speaking words of strengthening, encouragement, and consolation. Verses 4 and 5, the person who speaks in a tongue 
builds himself up, but the, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. I wish all of you spoke in tongues, but even more that you prophesied. The person who prophesies, prophecies, prophesies is greater than the person who speaks in tongues unless he interprets so that the church may be built up. Paul here is contrasting who is built up as a result of these gifts. The gift of tongues is upward toward the Lord primarily, and it's the person who's speaking who's built up. Prophecy is horizontal toward God's people, and yet calling God's people to look up. Look up. It builds up the people, builds up the church. In that way, Paul is saying this, this gift has a greater end result. Now, Paul is not disparaging the gift of tongues. They, they are a gift, one he has and one he wished that all had. What Paul is against is the selfish misuse of gifts that are happening in this particular church. It's possible to use grace gifts for a selfish end. It's possible for our flesh to try to twist gifts to exalt ourselves rather than Jesus, especially as it relates to our speech. Sometimes we are prone to, we want people to marvel at us when our speech should be marvel at the Savior, marvel at Him. In the use of speech gifts in the New Testament, Paul is saying the intended goal is for people to hear from the Lord ultimately, not hear you and I's thoughts, but hear from the Lord and for us to be vessels of His, His words to one another. As one author wrote, when believers are gathered together, love calls for the exclusive use of gifts which will serve to build up the community. Verse 6. So now, brothers and sisters, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I speak to you with revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? Paul's writing a letter to a church that he is desiring to visit again. And he's saying the greatest benefit I could give to you if I was there in person is, is not to speak in tongues that can't be understood, but to speak to them. And he gives four words, revelation, knowledge, prophecy, and teaching. All examples of different kinds of speech that are not radically different from one another, but they're interrelated. And they're examples of the kind of speech that is good for the church. And it's good for the church because it's able to be understood it points to the truth that Jesus is Lord. It strengthens, encourages, consoles the believer, and it calls the unbeliever to faith and repentance, to turn around, to receive and see the goodness of the grace of God. Verses 7 through 9, even lifeless instruments that produce sounds, whether flute or harp, if they don't make a distinction in the notes, how will what is played on the flute or harp be recognized? In fact, if the bugle makes an unclear sound, who will prepare for battle? In the same way, unless you use your tongue for intelligible speech, how will what is spoken be known? For you will be speaking into the air. Paul now uses the comparison of speech with musical instruments, trying to reinforce the idea that understanding is what matters. No one has ever listened to a child banging away on an open piano just banging away and thought, that's just such a sweet, sweet sound. <laughs> Keep doing it, please. In the same way, the gift of tongues without interpretation in the public gathering, it doesn't lead to this encouragement of the believer, encouragement of the listener. 
Paul also talks about a bugle. A bugle is often used in battle to make clear, recognizable calls to the troops of retreat and advance. If the call is unclear, disastrous results, or disaster results. It doesn't lead to good things. It needs to be clear. It needs to be understood. Verses 10 and 11, there are doubtless many different types of languages in the world. None is without meaning. Therefore, if I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker will be a foreigner to me. Paul now uses the comparison of foreign languages. There were 13 cross-pointers this last week that walked through that. Some of you are more fluent with Spanish. We'd love for you to come. That'd be great. You could be by, by my side next time. But Paul's talking that, saying these languages have meaning, but if I don't understand them, the words mean nothing to me. By speaking in tongues without interpretation in the public worship, the Corinthians became foreigners to one another in their speech. And as a result, they're alienating the listener, both believer and unbeliever. Verse 12, so also you, since you are zealous for spiritual gifts, Corinthian church, seek to excel in building up the church. The Corinthians were zealous for the grace gifts. But Paul's saying this is not for selfish motives. This is for Savior-exalting motives. Have that same type of zeal to see the Lord build up His church to strengthen, encourage, and console. Verses 13 through 17. Therefore, the person who speaks in a tongue should pray that he can interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. What then? I will pray with the Spirit, and I will also pray with my understanding. I will sing praise with the Spirit, and I will also sing praise with my understanding. Otherwise, if you praise with the Spirit, how will the outsider say amen at your giving of thanks, since he does not know what you are saying? For you may very well be giving thanks, but the other person is not being built up. Paul talks about praying and singing with his Spirit and understanding. Spirit and understanding. Another way to say that would be our hearts and our minds. If a person speaks in a tongue in the gathering, the Spirit's praying, but for it to bear fruit in the gathering, their, their mind, their understanding must interpret. Think of a, a guitar string. It's in tune when it's held in tension between two points. Paul is saying that when we pray and sing, especially in the gathering, we must do so with both our spirit and our understanding, with our hearts and our minds. They're complementary not competing. And when they're held in tension with one another, they tune this gathering to be this beautiful and understandable sound to those gathered. Paul is not advocating, saying you have to choose between spirit and understanding. It's not either or, it's both and. So we must avoid these false extremes thinking that the more serious you are in the faith, the more somber and less joy you will have been around some of those people. They're not fun at the cookout. It's like, okay, I guess I'll go laugh with someone else. That's cool. You guys be serious. I'm not saying you can't be serious. but We also must avoid thinking that our faith in Jesus is only lived out on the mountaintops of emotions. That the Lord is only at work if it's producing some emotion in us. Thinking the Lord is not at work in the ordinary mundane, still spirit-empowered, daily way of life. 
We want to be people who engage both the heart and mind as we pray and as we sing. I love how Pastor Dave chooses songs on Sunday mornings. Songs that are singable for us as a congregation and songs that engage our minds with doctrinal truth that is good for us to declare out loud to one another and to the Lord. In this gathering, whether through song or prayer or teaching, we want to engage both the heart and the mind. Because when the gathering is tuned between spirit and understanding, it leads to even an outsider, Paul says, those not regularly used to gathering, to say, amen. Meaning they're agreeing with what's being said because they're understanding what's going on. And what's the end result? The church is built up. Verses 18 through 20. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Yet in the church, I would rather speak five words with my understanding in order to teach others also than 10,000 words in a tongue. Brothers and sisters, don't be childish in your thinking, but be infants in regard to evil and adult in your thinking. The church won't be built up through endless words that fill the air that can't be understood. In my experience, any prophetic gift or any prophetic word, I should say, that I've received has been pretty succinct. It hasn't been email, subject, thoughts, 12 paragraphs. It's been, frankly, one or two sentences. Because that's what we can hold on to. Because that's like 12 words, I got it. I got that from the Lord. Clear, understandable, pointing to Jesus. As one commentator paraphrased Paul's words, it's better to be useful than try to be brilliant. And notice in verse 20, as he is rebuking and exhorting the church, he starts with brothers and sisters, terms of family affection. Even in rebuking, I'm doing so in love, Corinthians. So as a result, brothers and sisters, don't be childish in your thinking, but be adults. Don't go chasing after things like like a child, but be grounded in the gospel, growing in your understanding of who the Lord is as revealed in his word. Be adults in your godly speech. And at the same time, be like an infant and turn away from evil. Don't grow, don't grow callous to sin or evil or darkness, but pursue tenderness toward the spirit, ever, uh, spirit of everlasting truth and life and light. Verses 21 and 22, it is written in the law, I will speak to this people by people and of other tongues and by the lips of foreigners, and even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Speaking in tongues then is intended as a sign not for believers but for unbelievers, while prophecy is not for unbelievers but for believers. In verse 21, Paul is quoting from Isaiah 28, verses 11 and 12. And in the context of Isaiah 28, the prophet is announcing judgment upon the people of Israel. They did not receive the words of the prophet, prophets who spoke to them in Hebrew, in a language they understood. So now they will hear voices of the Assyrian invaders or foreigners who spoke a language the Israelites would not understand. So as a result, these foreign, foreign tongues were a sign of judgment upon the hard-hearted, unbelieving Israelites. It was not a benefit or blessing to the Israelites. It was communicating God's judgment. So Paul is saying, Corinthians, you, you think by speaking in un, unintelligible tongues, 
in the gathering, that it's going to lead to this witness to the unbelievers and to their conversion, but in fact, it's leading to their alienation, just like it did with the, in the book of Isaiah. Verses 23 through 25, if therefore the whole church assembles together and all are speaking in tongues and people who are outsiders or unbelievers come in, will they not say that you're out of your minds? But if all are prophesying and some unbeliever or outsider comes in, he is convicted by all and is called to account by all. The secrets of his heart will be revealed and as a result, he will fall face down and worship, worship God, proclaiming God is really among you. If the whole church is speaking in tongues, it will lead to a disastrous effect upon the gathering, both unbeliever and believer. But if the whole church is speaking words of prophecy to one another, words of strengthening, encouragement, consolation, if they're speaking God's words to one another that are tailored to the special needs and issues that are occurring in one another's lives, if they're listening to one another well, not thinking about what they're going to say next, but if they're listening to one another well and listening to the Spirit at the same time and then speaking gospel truth for the benefit of the other, if the church is doing that when it publicly, publicly gathers, the church is built up and you and I are strengthened and unbelievers come to faith in Jesus. What is dark gets brought into the light the proud are humbled and experience the grace of God. People turn from worshiping sin and self and the things of this world and they fall face down and worship a living and loving God who is no longer hanging on a cross or buried in a tomb. He's reigning, ruling, seated. And his people can rest in that and we can labor in that reality. I'm not sure what your spiritual gift or gifts are, but what I do know from 1 Corinthians 12 is that if you've trusted in Jesus, you've been empowered by the Spirit for the common good of the church. And you and I have the God-given opportunity when we gather in this place to speak words that build up one another in the truth that Jesus is Lord. I believe the question that Paul asks in verse 6 is a good, good one for us to consider when we walk into this gathering, even as we prepare for the gathering. The question is, how will I benefit you? How will I, a son or daughter of the King of Kings, a perfect Heavenly Father, how will I, empowered by the Spirit of God that raised Jesus from the dead, how will I benefit you? You being both brother and sister in the Lord and those seeking to know the Lord and come to faith in Him. To walk in with other-oriented eyes. Yes, we're going to be ministered to, to by the Spirit. We're going to be ministered to through singing and preaching and through praying, through fellowship, through testimony. But how can we also walk in with hearts like Jesus that seek the gospel benefit of others? How can we, the people of God, with Spirit-led words strengthen encourage and console one another when we are doing that it's beautiful church it's god glorifying and it's strengthening it's strengthening lord jesus it's a good gift to be alongside this family i'm grateful for a spiritual family to serve with on mission as well as gather with together on sundays Thank you for being our perfect Heavenly Father, sending your Son 
to rescue us from our sin, our sin and sending your spirit to empower us for daily living. May we be zealous to use our spiritual gifts to build up your church because it's yours. It's not ours. We are your people. And we're grateful for the grace you have shown us and continue to lavish upon us as your sons and daughters. Enable us to live gospel-centered lives and speak gospel truth that bring benefit to others and glory to you. We pray this in your name. Amen. Paul writes this in 1 Corinthians 12. Now there are different gifts, but the same Spirit. There are different ministries, but the same Lord. And there are different activities, but the same God produces each gift in each person. The manifestation of the Spirit is given to each person for the common good. So as you begin to fellowship, how will I benefit you? And next Sunday when we gather, how will I benefit you? And this week and the other six days of the week where we live out our faith, not just in the public gathering, how will I benefit you? And you starts with those closest to us. It doesn't skip them. It starts there. And it works out both to unbeliever and to believer.